I know you're rolling your eyes at the title, but please stick with us on this. We are not going to tell you how to do emails. That's not what today's about. We're going to ask a lot of critical questions and just spur some great thought on how you manage your mailroom. Did you know we're mailroom managers? Stick around. We're going to have some fun with this. Hello, everybody. Jeff Mason, Simple Biz 360 podcast, Simple Biz 360, the book. And you can find our home on simplebiz360.com and everything else social media-wise. You guessed it, Simple Biz 360 to beat that thing into the ground, right? Anyway, thanks for staying with us today. We're coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, episode 127. We've never missed a week since mid-October 2019. Coming to you from Half Coast Studios. Great guys. We have Matt Parker on the boards today. And we are going to have um, just a really a great show for you on tap. We're going to read a lot of things today. Uh, but before I do that, um, this may be a great episode if you're a listener or if you want to switch to listening. It really is. It's going to be a super one for any of the 28 listening platforms that we're on. We'd love, if we earned a five-star review, we'd love you to give that review at the end when you're done listening to it. It helps us. It helps our uh, you know algorithms and, and, and our company as well. So that would be awesome. If not, uh, YouTube, you can always subscribe on YouTube as well and follow us. That simply means you're going to get notified every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. when a new episode's out. And we plan on being better than the mail service. We don't want to miss a week, right? We're having fun, so why miss one? So at any rate, today uh, we're going to have some... Uh, we're going to have some really in-depth look at the modern-day mailroom, which I called it. And think about it. Decades and decades ago, hundreds of years ago, you know, uh, what we're doing now on email back then was a memo or letter. So we're, we're managing a process that, that has an equivalency to the memo and letter of old. And those, in my opinion, were written with great diligence, great care. There were many business professionals that just did their utmost to make sure those, they wordsmithed it correctly, they, they pondered the structure of sentences and paragraphs, and things had to really be refined before they released that. And, and I just think today, uh, like so many things, we're just, we're immersed in this casual environment, this casual workplace, and I think that the management of these modern day letters and memos um, has gotten, uh, you know, for a better lack of terms, uh, lazy. I think we see a lot of laziness. We see a lot of poor content. We see a lot of opportunities to be perception builders in what we say. But uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of perception breakers in how we casually go about releasing this company correspondence, if you will. We're kind of sloppy at stewardship in a lot of ways. And I think I've seen and I've witnessed and I've been part of tons of margin erosion, meaning, you know, you thought you were make, selling something for 12, it cost you eight and you were making $4 on it. Uh-uh. Things got messed up. You didn't get the right approvals, timelines, you got chargebacks. And the next thing you know, you're making a buck 33 instead of four bucks. So we've seen a lot of that due to this attitude and approach uh, with email. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell the viewers or listeners or anyone how to write an email. That's not the art of today's session. Today is really all about asking 
critical questions. And I'm going to read these questions because I took a lot of time thinking about this episode because it's been something that's near and dear to me. So it's, it's, that's its design and, and that's how we're going to approach it. So again, do you even have a management approach to processing emails? I mean, have you ever really thought about it? Um, what are your personal operating procedures? Your pops. You ever have a pop? You ever, you ever Anybody ever talk to you about pops? Personal operating procedures. How do you do things? Um, can we use pops with emails? What about the approaches for internal versus external? So, you know, your teammates, your company, your intercompany emails versus your vendor suppliers and your customers even, right? Um, do you have different mindset processing um, associates and intercompany email than you do processing emails of vendors, suppliers, or customers. Did you ever consider the acronym ARPA? Do you know what that means? Just a simple way to kind of look at each one of our mail rooms and manage the mail process. So it's, it's author, it's receiver, it's passenger, and it's administrator. So here we are all of a sudden, you know, we, we are managing the mail room complete with all those four functions. So, you know, when you look at how you go about managing this whole ball of wax, I just say, break it down into four segments. You know, you're either an author, you're a recipient, you're letting passengers go for the ride on this exchange. And then you have to be the administrator of what happens once you have all this information. And so if you kind of think of it that way, you know, it, it, it's a different way. So let's take the sender, right? So the author in essence, what are your personal operating procedures for being the author? Have you ever thought about it? Spend some time. Stillness, right? What Darcy said, um, you know, thoughtfully fit. There's a lot of stillness. I've advocated going away to a cabin and just get still. Do you test drive your drafts by looking through the lens of the eventual receiver? Do you actually kind of test the waters and say, hey, what would it be like if I received this email? Maybe I got to send it to a friend. Maybe I have to send it to a family member if it's that important. But, you know, what does it feel like looking through that lens? Are you careful when it comes to the word selection? Are you a wordsmith about it? Are, are you diligent about that? Uh, do you frame an email in any way? Uh, do you use courtesy, purpose, action? Courtesy, purpose, action, that's the framework. It makes it easy, right? What, what's my call to action? I'm just going to frame this up. And it's CPA, courtesy, purpose, action. Or any other you have. I'm sure people have other structures they use, other acronyms and Ways about uh, ways to do it. Do you utilize subject header integrity? Do you pay a lot of attention to what goes in that subject, or is that kind of a casual, lazy, kind of just you know, ah, willy nilly process for you? Uh, do you diligently compartmentalize your two and your copy recipients? Recipients? Do you really look at that? Do you really think about who's going in the two bucket, who's going into the copy? The CC, you know, sometimes some people don't. I've run into them. So I'm just asking the question. Uh, do you use snow globing before you send big and delicate emails? Remember we talked about that a couple episodes ago. Just kind of let the snow globe, let the snow settle, hit the ground. Then you get a little sunlight. Remember? Remember that uh, sunlight in on the, uh, the landscape? And you can see the landscape a little more clearly and get an idea. Hey, is this really... Do I really want to push this send button on this puppy? So uh, do you avoid writing tough emails when you're tired? Are you the kind of person that writes those really difficult emails at 4.30 in the afternoon when you got to be out the door at 5 to go pick up the kids? 
I don't know, is that right? When you're tired, 10 o'clock at night after the kids are in bed, you've had a long day, you've been at the office since six, is that the right time? Um, do you, uh, is your focus on respecting your time or the time of your recipient? I kind of say, if your focus, your main goal is to conserve your time and streamline your efforts, man, I just might say, think about switching that around and just, you know, kind of inverting that and putting the customer's time, respect for time on top of the pyramid and, uh, you know, you're on the bottom and see if that, it changes things. I don't know. Uh, is your content clear and easy to understand? Now, the wall graphics hanging behind us is the BCN format challenge for those of you who are listening and not viewing. And basically what that just says is, hey, BCN is the format challenge. Brief, clear, number. Be brief, be clear, number your things, your questions, your items, whatever you want. If you got seven things you want them to give you feedback on, I'd say put it in the subject of the email, seven Pieces of information requiring feedback, asking for your feedback on seven questions, whatever. So, you know, that's kind of, as the author, those are just some things to think about. If you've never given it thought, think about it. I'm going to actually do a blog on this as well, and I'll, um, you may want to look at Simple Biz 360 for the blogs. They always show up at the, on the homepage at the uh, very bottom or we have a blog section, and I'm going to make sure those go on there, excuse me, and um, uh, you'll, you'll see this, I guess, in its totality in writing, too. So now let's look at the receiver, right? So the author and now the receiver part of ARPA. So the receiver, what POPs do you use for reading emails? Again, you're managing the mailroom, so you've got a certain set of procedures for being the author, and you've got a certain set of procedures for being the receiver. Do you read within certain time frames? Do you read... Before sundown, do you read within 24 hours? What's your set of expectations? You send your community of customers and you know, ter internal teammates and associates. What's the time frame on the expectation for you to respond? Do you read the entire email? I'm telling you, this is the truth. One of my buddies became an executive with a company. It's a European company, and all the other executives forewarned him. Said, hey, listen, the CEO, that's who you report to. Just beware. CEO only responds to one sentence in an email and never reads past the second sentence. I mean, my blood boiled. I'm like, what? I mean, I've been on the executive team of companies before and uh, that, that would not be tolerated. I'm sorry. So I don't know who get, lets him get away with this or her, whoever the CEO is. But literally, I asked my buddy, I said, isn't this frustrating? I mean, does it really happen that way? He goes, oh, yes, it definitely happens that way. It's so aggravating. So you, this guy, you can't ask more than one question. You can't even be courteous. You can't even frame an email, courtesy, purpose, action. you got to get right to the point, first sentence, ask a question. It comes off rude, abrasive, harsh. And this person is putting all these company executives and all these company personnel into that position. Oh, mm, gee, do, uh, do things roll downhill? Do you lead by example? How many people are learning these bad behaviors? If I was a board member and I knew this was going on, I'm sorry. This person gets written up. This person gets a warning. That is not tolerable in my book. That's just garbage. But it happens. So, you know, do you read the entire email? Make sure you read it. There's a lot in there sometimes, right? Do you read the material, including the attachments? And in the attachments, are you opening up all the different, let's say it's an Excel attachment. Look at the tabs. Are there four tabs? Take a look at the four tabs. You know, are you looking at each one of those tabs? Um, are you looking at the full scope? In other words, you're opening an attachment 
But if it's 27 pages now, you know, that, I mean, that's a long one to read, but, you know, are you looking at the full scope of it? I mean, you're opening it, but again, there's, there's this whole um, necessity in business, especially to avoid margin erosion. Look at the whole thing, right? And read the whole thing. Uh, what POPs are you using for responding, right? So you're reading, right? But now a receiver also has the, the, uh, you know, job of switching back to the author, right? So you've received something, it's asking you to, for your input, for your feedback. So now you've got to jump back to the author portion of it. So, you know, what's your little POP there for how you convert that, that reading and back into a, uh, a sent email? Um, what about acknowledging email receipts? Are, are you a non-confirmer or are you a confirmer? Now, I talked to a gentleman the other day, watching the Super Bowl, we were at a party, and he said, nope, I'm not a confirmer. I either delegate or I do this. Ah, some, some I confirm, but no, I'm too busy. I get too many inter-department emails, inter-company emails. I can't afford to do that. So you just have to pretty much know that I read it. Now, in all fairness, a lot of times even dealing here at Half Coast Studios, I don't always, I wouldn't call them confirmers. They don't always confirm the emails I send, but they always get back to me. I think, honestly, I am thinking, uh, just the other day, I did a resend email. I see Matt looking at me. I, I did a resend email. I have to say that's the first one I've sent since I've been dealing with them September 2019. So they're not confirmers that, hey, I got it working on it, Jeff, but they're executors. They execute. They follow through. They do what they need to do. So I've kind of learned, hey, I'm not always, you know, just because I like to give confirmations out just because that's my um, druther, if you will. I don't want to impose that on someone else if they're, if they're delivering the goods and these guys deliver the goods. So, uh, we just had one that fell through the cracks and, you know, so it was the first time. So, but that's a question. Ask yourself, are you a confirmer or a non-confirmer? Um, if you are a non-confirmer, did you ever consider the potential fallout? Have you ever run, run into some, you know, issues and sticky stuff and kind of backed away from the situation, kind of gone up a little bit, maybe even at 5,000 feet, kind of looked it over. And have you ever come to the conclusion that, wow, gosh, I don't think I've really ever let them know we were doing all these things. I, I, I wonder if the onus is on me. I think maybe I am the one that's at fault here. Maybe I owe them an apology. Maybe I should change the way I go about doing things. So again, it's just some things to think about, to toss out there and uh, review on your own. Do you address every question or variable that's tucked inside the email. Now, a lot of people write emails in a very um, just um, kind of long-winded format, and you, you might get a paragraph, and it's just, you know, there's all kinds of questions in this long run-on paragraph. And it might be, you know, it might be 1,200 words, <laughs> and your job as the receiver is to figure out how many questions are tucked in there and try to, if you want to try to streamline things, you know, and protect your margin, protect your job completion, your, your dates, your expectations, you need to kind of figure out, okay, I really didn't like the way this person wrote this email. I wish they would have listed the questions. But nonetheless, I see that there's eight of them in. You know what I do? I go, hey, see below uh, in red, you know, with uh, four symbols in front of it, and boom. Then I number the questions I find. So I break their paragraph apart and I number things. And then I go, here are my nine responses. Person's like, wow, I had nine questions in there? I didn't know that, you know. But they did. They had nine questions in that long run on paragraph, 1,200 words. 
So that, that's what I do. Just saying again, throwing it out there. Do you address every question? Are you demonstrating professional stewardship with the way you respond? Again, companies, inter, inter company, the teammates, the associates you have, you know, you're, you're building perceptions, you're breaking perceptions with the way you do things. Are they the kind that say, yeah, this guy Mason's a great teammate. He responds to everything. He's timely and he's a professional steward of this piece of information I gave him. He's doing the right things with it on a timely basis. I like the way this guy works. Or as a customer saying, hey, this guy's a professional, this girl's a professional steward of the money I'm giving him. I want to give him, uh, next time I go to buy this, I don't want to go out there to buy it. I want to go come back to this person because Jennifer just does a great job on handling it. You know, Bob does an excellent job on his stewardship of my information. So again, just some things to, just some things to ask. Now the passenger is kind of fun, right? So we're ARPA, right? Author, receiver. Now the passenger, yeah, passengers, man, they're just going for the ride. Dude, you just stuck me in a car and I'm going for the ride. I'm seat belted in. I don't really want to interfere. It's not my need to interface, right? I'm just, I'm just, Looking at the sights, man. So, uh, so on the passenger end, you know, what are your expectations for passengers? Are they truly those people that you put in the copy? Are they just, um, are they just really to to have? Uh, are you being courteous in a way by letting them in on it to see what's going on, or are you one of these that want to make sure everybody and their brother knows you did it? And so you put, you know, nineteen people on it, and they're going, oh my gosh, this is such garbage. What I mean, why am I seeing this? You know, you got to kind of think about what are your expectations with the passengers? I, I love to include them if it's a courteous thing or if they need to know. Maybe they have a little branch of responsibility in this situation, a little, you know, nugget of responsibility that this information might help their little nugget of responsibility. They don't have to do anything, but it could help. So again, these people aren't expected to be doers, they're just, uh, they're, they're just there on the ride. So, so do you ever misplace doers in the carbon copy section? Um, so again, if you really kind of kind of pay attention, I mean, we've all done it, I think, I have. And just make sure you put in the right doers. You got somebody you, want, you need some action from in the two, or if it's critical to them and their team, and the passengers are the passengers. Uh, make sure that those incorrect assignments uh, don't intentionally foster any delays or confusion. Do you include essential passengers only? I work for a company, and uh, just any email I send, you know, eight people end up getting dragged into the response. Uh, and I see responses from emails to people. I don't even know who they are. So, I, you know, I, I, sometimes you just, you know, you, you got to go for the ride, and you don't do anything. You don't say anything. Sometimes they, they feel like, wow. If, if Jeff could see this information, it might help him in another similar situation. That's kind of the way I look at it. I, mean, I think that's what they're really saying by including me in the car. But nonetheless, they buckled me up and took me on the ride. Um, but if you include non-essential passengers, do you tell them why they're included? There you go. Hey, Jeff, copied you on this just in case, you know, you think this might help you with how you deal with XYZ customer. Or this might help you on the project you're starting next week. I don't know. So just uh, tell them why. Man, people love to know why. Kids, right? Remember that phase in kids? Why? 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 Yeah, customers want to know why. They do. People, intercompany associates want to know why. So how do you handle drawing a passenger into the delegation or the two process, or, or, or do they just stay CC? So let's say, um, you know, you, you get something, and all of a sudden, the questions that you're answering, you realize, hey, there's a couple people that 
or copying on this that really need to be doers on this, then what do you do? Well, do you have a policy for that or procedure? I always put them, I take, take them off the carbon copy and I put them in the two. And then if I'm, I'm responding to the person who wrote it, I might say, uh, you know, Jennifer, you know, comma, new paragraph, blah, 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 blah. Boom. Thanks so much. Boom. Then I end. Then I go, Matt, comma, new paragraph. And then I highlight Matt's name, maybe in a different color. So it's black there. It's blue here. And so Matt knows, oh, there's, I'm on there, baby. I'm not, a, I'm not a passenger anymore. I'm being asked to be a doer. And so this way they see it. Um, so that's what I do sometimes. any rate, uh, just again, how do you handle that? What do you do? Uh, do you do anything? Uh, do you have a policy or program or per set of procedures for that? Now, the administrator is the interesting thing. I think this is really where a lot of us, um, you know, um, after all, some of us have administrative skills, some of us don't. And so now we're asked to be an administrator, whether we like it or not, because guess what? The mailroom just came to our door, what, 20, 22, 23 years ago? You know, most of us started getting Outlook or variations where we have, you know, compartmentalization, filing cabinets, and we're managing the mailroom. So now we're administrators too. So what do we do? What are your POPs you utilize as the manager of your mailroom? Are you a touch things once business person? So um, you look at something, you read it, your highlight goes off if you're using Outlook, right? Your, your highlight goes off of that email. So it's kind of telling you, hey, you read this, you read this puppy, right? Just a quick glance if you've got it set up that way. So you go, hey, I read it, you know, everything's read. Now, you had... Nine questions in that third email that unhighlighted. So it looks like to your eyeballs, you've read it. Now you're busy, right? You get 120 emails a day. You've got 3,700 emails in your inbox or 5,900. You, you took care of it, right? Then a week later, you find out, hey, we're still waiting for your feedback on that, Jeff. Oh, gosh, dang, what did I do? I forgot. Oh, I tricked myself. I thought it was done. Oh, geez, here you go, guys. Sorry about the delay. Here we are. And they've been waiting a week for you to respond. So, you know, are you a touch things once? If it's fileable, do you file it? If you need to do something with it, do you do something with it? If you need to be a, a creator and an author of a, you know, really careful response, do you engage in that process or start it and set it up in drafts? But, you know, what are you doing to touch things once? Because if you can touch things once, especially in that, that old mail scenario, right? we talked about that a number of weeks ago. You get the mail. I, I learned a long time ago from a buddy of mine. I said, dude, when you get the mail... Don't just, how many people just look at, oh, yeah, great, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll tackle it later. No, just pick it up. If it's garbage, it's garbage. If you need to file it or pay the bill, get, you know, pay it. Just take care of it. Don't touch things twice all the time. Same thing, maybe, you know, so just ask yourself, are you a one-touch person or are you a multi-touch person? Um, if you are not a multi-touch person, then how do you stay on top of the delay and answer later process? What's your personal operating procedures? How are you setting that up so you don't cost teammates and customers business and time, right? Time is money, so you know that drill. Um, do you have enough e-file cabinet set up uh, to compartmentalize all the different topics. I mean, I'd say, you know, especially if you're in sales, you got key customers. I'd have a key customer account for each one. I might have key customer accounts like I do. I've got key customer backorder accounts, main accounts, uh, individual accounts. I'm, I have one customer. I probably got uh, 13, 14 buckets, 14 file cabinets set up for the company on different variables. Uh, because we do that much business and there's that much activity and I don't want to go hunting and pecking, you know, through these things. I want to find uh, an old email quickly and efficiently. So, again, uh, 
do you do you have enough of those set up, especially when you can do that in Outlook uh, so proficiently? Are you a 4D administrator? And I got to give credit to my buddy Hal Moran, who's going to be a guest on this show coming up in the future. But Hal Moran mentioned this to me uh, a number of weeks ago. I was with him and he said, oh, yeah, I'm a 4D guy. Do, delete, delay, and delegate. Do, delete, delay, and delegate. And I said, wow, what's that? He explained it. I said, that is really cool. He goes, yeah, I've been living by that for years and years and years, and it's part of his whole lean approach. He's going to be in the studio with us in a couple uh, a couple months to talk about the lean process of, of management. Uh, do you ever unhighlight that email and think you read it, right? We went over that. Uh, do you keep endless amounts of red emails in your inbox for months or years? Now, I've run into a lot of people, and I'm just going to say that, you know, sometimes they're, they can be rough communicators. Things might not go smoothly all the time, and I'm just curious. I'm like, man, I, I just wonder, you know, I just wonder if this person has 37, 58, 6,700 emails sitting in their inbox. And sure enough, you know, you're working in the office, you kind of, you know, go over to their workstation, they grab something and you see it and you're like, wow, you know, that's what I thought, you know, not to, not trying to eavesdrop, but I am in a way, you know, I'm trying to find out what's this person make of. And especially with my lens, you know, uh, trying to talk about overlooked and ignored business principles, you know, is, is this person, um, cleaning up those emails. So I was like that for, oh gosh, 10 years, maybe even longer, 12 years. I was the guy that had 3,800 emails. I was the guy who missed on some occasions to, to, you know, respond when I should have. So it takes just a couple days to sit down, set up your cat file cabinets and go through that list of 3,800 and get that thing sorted out. And ever since I did that, I am probably at, I, don't, I probably never have more than 50 emails in my inbox. And if I was to go into it right now, I probably have 15. So I have it all, you know, tucked away. And so when I get something fresh, it's pretty easy to see, especially on my phone. It's very easy to see and answer to it first. So again, uh, just some things to think about there, right? Uh, have you ever experienced a costly mistake? Or delay not managing uh, your inbox properly? That's a question, you know, it's worth, it's worth thinking about. I'm sure you have. I'm sure everybody has. I know I have. Uh, and it's just one of those things that gets you to kind of think about the way you're doing things. And then do you save and file decision-oriented emails, um, both sent and received? A huge tip, just always do it. You always have that decision there. You can go back to it. If you get the decision over a text, I take a screenshot of it, email it to myself, and then I put that in one of their file cabinets. So I always have that decision right there in front of me that I, I never have to let go, and I can always bring it up uh, should I need. And boy, oh boy, in my 35-year career, have I had to bring those up on occasion uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So it, it's paid for itself, that whole uh, personal operating procedure when it comes to that. So just some things to throw out. Promised you, you know, I know you, you know, I know the eyes roll that oh my gosh, this guy's gonna tell us how to do it. But no, I'm just asking you to think about how you approach the ARPA, right? And um, you know, we'll put this in a blog, those questions will be out there, but give it some thought. You might change one, you might one thing, two things that might really um, you know, uh help change the trajectory of your business or or take I'll tell you what it will do. 
it, it'll take some angst out of the business equation. It'll remove some unwanted anxiety because it'll because you're you're clean you're cleaning things up. You're filing things. You're touching things once. You know, if you aspire to do things like that. So have some fun with it. Um, thanks for sticking with us. And, and great, great, great lost in the shuffle track. Now, I've thought about this band. I'm like, why haven't we had this band on before? Well, I'll tell you what, you're in for a real treat because I dipped back into the archives and I pulled up about a seven and a half minute video. And we always put our music videos up to the upper right-hand portion of the screen as your visual screen. And unfortunately, it doesn't come up on listening platforms. But on the YouTube platform, you can find it up in the upper right-hand corner. When I mention the song, Matt puts it up there. And then you can click onto it and go to the YouTube video of that song. So this is an, a seven and a half minute gem that is from a BBC recording. And these guys were part of the British Invasion. 2010, elected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One of their members famously left in the late 60s and went on to form a band called Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Ever heard of these guys? Yeah, Graham Nash. Well, Graham Nash, you trickle back. Graham Nash was a school uh, buddy, uh, a gentleman, I believe his name was Al Alan Clark, and they were primary school buddies. And they put a band together and uh, had a couple of different names of the band and finally settled on the Hollies. And if you've uh, never heard the Hollies, uh, you probably have and just never knew the name. So this seven... Uh, minute um, part is just great. These guys are awesome. Three harmony band, uh, you know, their, their three part vocal harmonies are just unbelievable. Uh, they pumped out hit after hit after hit. Uh, and we're going to treat you with this. And you're going to find Carrie Ann, Just One Look, Bus Stop, On a Carousel, and Sorry Suzanne tucked inside this little Lost in the Shuffle gem. So enjoy this, what they call Mersey beat sound. You're going to love it. Um, it's great f footage too of the uh, of the late '60s. So Graham Nash is not on this because uh, this was filmed in 1969. He was already with uh, David Crosby's and Stephen Stills um, doing his thing on the West Coast. So. Anyway, we thank you for sticking with us. And we always say, right, just remember, if you want to change the results of your business, consider changing the how you do business. Because the team of horses pulling the results cart, you guessed it, it's how. It's the perception team of horses. It's the customer experience that's pulling the results cart in a lot of ways. So we just invite you to think that way and come join us on our journey as we explore ways to create better customer experiences. And man, there is so much information out there. Citizen journalism, I've turned to it. I, I've turned off TV and and uh, cable news and I've gone citizen journal. Now, you're gonna find some, uh, you know, find some things that are wrong. You're gonna have to be discerning about it, but way better information than I've ever gotten from TV and cable news. So we consider, we invite you. We need truth tellers, look at that, right? We need people to be truth tellers. We need you to carry that torch on into the future. We're done with the lies. We've heard enough. Done, done, done. So we invite you to be truth tellers and uh, just turn on a podcast. Gosh, there's so many of us out there now doing this. Tens of thousands. Cool ones coming out every day. Your friends are probably doing them. Go, go enjoy one. And now uh, we just invite you to pick up a Bible full of great stories. Read it, pray, and love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And guess what? 168 hours from now, we will see you again. Take care.